0: Well, thank you again, people who led us in worship with music. Um, We're going to dismiss the boys and girls to junior church, and Miss Linda is in the back. She can raise her hand. If you would like to have your children go to children's church, um, they can be dismissed now and uh, head down the center aisle or the side aisles and head with Miss Linda um, to that. We also have nursery um, for the toddlers and infants, if that is of need to anybody um, today as well. Hey, listen, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, today, I, I always mess that up tonight and today my church knows that that if um, tonight I'll say today and today every day I'll say night I, I have a dysfunction with that but uh, thank you for coming today this is a friend day of sorts for us and both our churches joining together and so if you were invited by somebody today for the first time they counted you as a friend um, that they thought uh, and loved enough to be able to have you come not only to enjoy the lunch but to be able to hear something specifically for you from God. Um, I want you to re- look around and I want you to notice the crowd. I want you to notice the people that are here. This is what it, this is unique for post-COVID, right? The church attendance is dwindling. In this day and age, everybody's much more satisfied with digital uh, attendance, like if not even just in church, but anywhere uh, whatsoever. They'd rather not Come in person, not just because of COVID, but because of the whole digital generation. And so to have this amount of people in a church post COVID is a glory to God. Now I want to impress upon you this truth before we even get into the message today: you're not here for the food. Now you maybe you came for the food, and that's OK, but you're not here for the food. And you're not here because I'm here. Please don't think that. if you came to hear me preach, I'm sorry. Um, and you're not here because someone invited you, although that is in part You're here because of God and we have a great God in heaven And I want you to know that no matter what happens in this world. God never changes. He's the same yesterday today and forever He's a loving God. He is a good God. No matter how many times people are bad See if you come here for me. I am going to disappoint you really quickly. I wish I didn't I wish I'd never disappointed anybody But that's not going to be the case and if you're here because you're, you've, someone else is really spiritual in your life, that's wonderful. It's great how God can use us, but they're going to disappoint you too. Matter of fact, you can think about the most loving people in your life and the people that you love the most in your life, and you're going to realize real quick that they're a disappointment, and you've disappointed them. But God is a great God no matter what. And we come here, and it ought to be that nothing in this world shakes us from who we, uh, how we see God and, and how we'll follow God. And so I just want to glorify God for a second in that regard and be able to say, hey, listen, no matter what happens, you keep on keeping on for God. You keep on following God's drawing of you. If you're here today, I believe wholeheartedly God drew you here. He may have used somebody. He may have used food. He may have used Um, some kind of circumstance in your life he may have one day just woke you up and say hey why don't you walk into church today i don't know all those circumstances but i can tell you this whatever it was god has used that to draw you to him today to be able to hear today's message for your particular life let's open up in a word of prayer again thank you for being here and then we'll look right into it today father in heaven Lord, we need your presence today lord more than the same as we always do but lord i really want to make an emphasis of your presence being here this cannot be manufactured by churches or by people or by preachers cannot just be manufactured by um, circumstances father we want it to be holy spirit led we want it to be god divine we want it to be supernatural and lord i pray father that whatever it is that people are going through father that you would allow them to see your face today We seek your face. We ask to be humbled in our hearts. We ask, Father, that you would shine forth your Son. And Lord, with a special emphasis on anyone who is not sure where they will spend eternal life, I pray that today you would show forth their need and how and prompt them to come unto you for eternal life. And Lord, we pray all of these things now by your power. Lord, we ask it. We beg for it. We need it pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I always ask this question at the end of service, but I'm going to ask this question at the beginning of service, not for you to raise your hand, not to put you on the spot, not to make you feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you this question for you to self-reflect and you to consider for yourself. If you died today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Now just think about that. I'm not looking for you to say yes or no to me. I am nobody. I, I have no authority on eternal life. I am a sinner saved by God's grace. But I want you to consider that for a moment because the things that we're going to talk about this morning are concerning eternal life. There's some things, preliminary things, that I want to go through real quick for you to dismiss some of your objections, right? Either there is a heaven or in hell or there's not. The law, the first law of logic, the first law of, is called the law of non-contradiction. A cannot be A in the same place, and it cannot be A and not A in the same place at the same time. That means this, either heaven is real or it's not. It can't both be real for some and not real for others. In this postmodernistic society, there's a real emphasis that whatever you believe that's true for you and whatever I believe is true for me. But that's not the reality, that's delusional. Whatever the truth is, is the truth. So either there is a heaven and hell or there is not. And I implore unto you that there is. I suggest unto you that there is. Then we have the fact that Jesus Christ said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He says, so in the Bible, the Bible says there is a heaven. Jesus says, I am the only way to heaven. There is no other way to heaven. And that would mean no other gods. That would mean no other philosophies. That would mean no other um, smorgasbord or cafeteria style in order to get to heaven. That would mean not all roads lead to heaven, or all gods lead to heaven, or all religions lead to heaven. Because he said, I am the way no man comes to the Father but by me. And so you've heard me say this before, but you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that either that is accurate and true, or Jesus is a liar. And I'm telling you all those things because I don't want there to be hesitation in your heart. I don't want there to be um, these things in your heart that are battling. I want to be able to work through them so that you might hear from God, that you might trust Him as your Savior today. Because Jesus, there's a truth in this, right? And I'm going to tell you how I got saved in regards of the Bible. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I realized at a point in my life that I was a sinner. There was no way to, to go about it. I under, God started dealing with me about my sin, about the things that I've done wrong, about my violations of God, my evil transgressions, my shameful acts, my horrendous doings, all of that. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short sure of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter if you had more sins than me or less sins than me. All have sinned. And the Bible says this, that... um. where where the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it says, for the wages of sin is death. That means what I've earned because I've sinned is death and hell. And God started working in my life to realize, hey, listen, I'm a sinner, and the penalty for sin or the consequence for sin is death and hell. And if I was to logically look at it and spiritually look at it and even emotionally look at it, I understood this. All have sinned, and those who sin go to hell. Therefore, I'm on my way to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell. And I didn't want to have to pay for my sins. I realized that I had sinned so much that there was no way for me to be able to stand before God and convince Him that it was not a big deal. And so there I stood before God condemned. What am I going to do? And the Bible says this, but God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is God demonstrated his love toward us. That even though we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means God knows every single evil thing you've ever done, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought about in the privacy uh, of your own life, in the secrecy, those things you hide, those things no one knows about. God knows every single thing about them, and that is horrendously fearful. But here's what the truth is. Even God knowing all of that, He loves you anyway. Can you contemplate that for a second? He loves you anyway, and doesn't just love you, but sent His Son to die for you. Here's here's what that kind of looks like there i am there you are standing and the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter if you accept this truth or reject it it is the truth sinner before god guilty on my way deserving hell jesus god loves me so much he sends jesus to die in my place that he's willing to punish his own son and set me free forgive me of every single sin i've ever committed And that it would be put on Jesus Christ, his son. That's why Jesus came to the cross. There's notions out there that say you can be good enough to get to heaven. If you could be good enough to get to heaven. If you could be religious enough to get to heaven. If you could do sacraments enough to get to heaven. Then let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus have to die? Why would he send his son to die a suffering death? If I could get to heaven by being good enough. I couldn't. And neither can you. But He loves you infinitely so much that He sends His own Son to die in your place. The Bible goes on to say that we believe on God in our heart and our mouth confesses that He is God. And then it says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So though the wages of sin are death, the gift of God is eternal life. That means that God gave you an offer of eternal life. And so, friend, I want you to hear this this morning. And we're, we're going to get into the passage. And by the way, you can open up to Luke chapter 16. We're going to get there in a minute. And We're going to go through a couple different passages in the book of Luke and one in the book of Acts. But hear me as you turn there. <clears throat> God is offering to everyone whom he loves his son. And the Bible says He loves all of us, even though we were sinners, even though we deserve hell, even though we violated every single thing, even though He knows all our ugly parts. He says, I still love you. Here's my Son to die in your place, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will trust Christ as their personal Savior will have forgiveness of all sin and be able to go into heaven, be able to have eternal life. That offer is for you today. Maybe you've never called on Jesus, maybe you have. But I'm telling you today that offer is available to you. You may have come for food, you may have come cuz someone invited you, but I'm telling you the real reason you're here is because God wants you to know that he loves you and he died for you and he's willing to accept you and forgive you of your sins because of the sacrifice of his son on the cross. And I'll be plain and blunt with you today. You have the ability to accept that or reject it. You have the ability to say, yes, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to go to hell. I I know my sin. Please forgive me of my sin. I trust Jesus' sacrifice. Please save me. You have that ability today, and you have the ability to say, nonsense, garbage, forget this. This guy's crazy. That can't be true. You have absolutely the ability for all of that today. But I would not be a faithful preacher of the Bible if I did not preach the reason that Jesus came for you to hear. The Bible says He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He knows your sin, friend. You're not, you're not hiding it from anyone. He knows it. And He still loves you. And He sent Jesus to die for you. And I want you to know that. So when I ask Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And you say, yeah, I'm a good person, friend. None of us are good people. We're never going to get into heaven by our goodness. You might say, I'm really religious. I understand. There's a lot of religious people who end up in hell because religion doesn't save. It's the same thing. Our works don't save. We heard Brother Jason um, read that in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not by works lest any man should boast. What I want to look at in the Bible today is a countdown of the five most disappointing responses to the offer of salvation in the Bible. The five most disappointing or sad responses to the offer of salvation when it was given to them. So very much like you are being offered that today, and by the way, I am not offering that to you from me. I am just offering that from God as he says, preach the gospel, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. Um, The Bible says that. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All I'm doing is shouting to you today for you to consider God's love for you, your sin before God, his eternal salvation, and the exclusivity of him being the only way to heaven. That's, and that offered to you personally today. That's what I'm spitting and yelling about today. But it's not an offer for me. It's an offer from a loving God. What I want to look at this, this morning is this concept of eternal life and a countdown, if you will, of the five most disappointing and sad choices concerning eternal life. Now, eternal life is an interesting topic. Most people don't want to die. They cover themselves with statements like life's too short at funerals. And they soften the reality of death with such phrases as he passed away or he went home. Because the idea and the permanency of death, right, and you heard me say this before, 10 out of 10 people die and we'll be dead a lot longer than we're alive. That's one of the things I say over and over again because it it helps people to put in perspective eternal life, this limited life here. We must figure out what happens for eternity because we're going to be there a lot longer than we are in this particular life. And nobody wants to talk about death. It's uncomfortable. It makes us squirm. It makes us fearful. It's frightening. That's one of the things that happened in the whole COVID era. People were deathly afraid of death and the process by which they would die. And I would submit to you that a lot of that fear is not just because of dying. It is. But it's about the fear of what happens after. And the Bible is very clear on that. That he doesn't want a single person to go to hell. Doesn't want a single one and I find it awfully ironic that though a lot of people do not want to die, and though Jesus has offered a remedy of that death, eternal life, through salvation, and, through eter- and, 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 and though eternal life is up to you to receive or reject, very few wind up receiving it. Very few wind up accepting it. Very few wind up coming to Christ to be forgiven. That's dumb, as dumbfounding as ever a truth that I've come across. That Jesus offers salvation to all, but hardly anyone in this world, numerically, statistically, responds to it. If you're here today and you're a born-again believer, you did respond to that. But I'm telling you, the vast majority of the percentage of this world reject it. And so again, I want to delve into the top five most disappointing responses or choices concerning eternal life. That everyone we're going to look at this morning, every group had an opportunity to be saved, had an opportunity to have eternal life just like you do. But they chose against it. They rejected it. And again, I want to remind you that you have that choice today. Moses said it like this back uh, in, in the Old Testament. See, I've set before you this day life and good, death and evil. Therefore, choose life. And in the words of Jeremiah, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. But Jeremiah also said this concerning the people of his era, and death shall be chosen rather than life. So here's the countdown as I could, is my opinion. They're all biblical stories, but here's my, uh, uh, my opinion. The five saddest responses to eternal life. Number five, the rich man. Look at Luke sixteen, verse number nineteen. We're going to go through these stories quicker than I normally would. I would normally fix on one of these stories and kind of uh, extrapolate everything in it, but we're going to go kind of quick because the theme of today is your salvation. The theme of today is here in Christ, call you unto Him. But look at verse number nineteen of Luke sixteen. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple. And fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So here's what happened. There was a rich man, and he had everything in life that anyone could want. He had the nicest clothing. He had the nicest house. He had the most amount of people coming to his house for these parties and these festivals. And there was a poor beggar laid at his gates who had the opposite. He didn't have good health. He didn't have any money. He seemingly didn't have any family. All he desired was a couple crumbs that would fall from the rich man's table. And the dogs, the Bible says even in this graphic nature, that the dogs would come and lick his sores because of the sores of perhaps like bed sores or just the um, external ulcers from being out in the elements. And in time, both of them died. In time, both of them went into eternity. And what I can gather is no doubt that as the Lazarus here, we, we find the final destination of Lazarus was heaven, which means that he would have trusted Christ as his Savior. And the final destination of the rich man was in hell, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. This is Jesus telling this story, by the way. And so what I can gather in this happening is that if the, if the man who knew about eternal life laid at the gates of the rich man I would imagine that there were times where the the poor man was asking hey listen can I have some food can I have some things um, to be able to eat but I also would imagine that there would be times when that poor man would tell the rich man hey rich man can I tell you about Jesus can I tell you about eternal life can I tell you about heaven and I don't know how the exchange went but I can tell you this from this Bible I can conclude wholeheartedly that the rich man rejected any attempt Because he ended up in hell. So no matter what the conversation wound up surrounding, he ended up in hell, though he had an opportunity. The man rejected salvation. And the Bible tells us he died and went to hell. And I can imagine the rich man saying, oh man, how can you think you have God? You're poor. Where's your God? I have everything. If there is a God, I'm blessed by Him, not you. And I can imagine the rich man's rationale thinking, I am blessed, I don't need God. I have everything anyone could want, and everybody wants to come to me. I don't need God. I can imagine that being some of his rationale, some of his thinking. And yet the Bible tells us, again, you can look at it, in verse number twenty-four, and he, uh, verse twenty-three, in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Abraham's bosom is, is just another terminology of heaven for this particular part of the Bible. And so he looks over. Can you imagine the rich man in hell? the moment he dies, the moment he wakes up and he's in fiery torment, and he looks across, and at this particular juncture, he's able to see into heaven, and he's looking there, and he notices the beggar. He notices the guy who laid at the gates. And he cries out and says, have mercy on me, and tell him I'm the beggar now. Tell him to come and dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And so, friend, his arrogance, his riches, his self-sufficiency hindered him from ever accepting the offer of salvation. So number five, we see the rich man had an opportunity, knew the saved man, in his opulence, in all his riches, died and went to hell. If riches sent someone to heaven, he would have went to heaven. If arrogance and self-sufficiency was the determination that God approved of you, he would have went to heaven, but he didn't. So number five is the rich man. Number four, look over at Luke 6, 17, one chapter over. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, And as it was in the days of Noah... So shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and they drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So number four, number five is the rich man. Number four is the people in the time of Noah. Now you know the story of Noah. Now oftentimes we think of Noah as the little cute border inside of a nursery of a little kid's room. And we see the boat and all the animals' heads are sticking out. And everyone's thinking, oh, how cute and wonderful. But I want you to understand something. Before it rained there, it was a different kind of atmosphere there. Before the floods ever, ever came, God told Noah, build an ark. I'm going to send a destructive flood. And Noah believed God. And everybody else mocked him. And, and, and it took him many, 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 many years to be able to build that ark. And then when it was built... There was a seven-day period where anybody could get on that ark that wanted to. Anybody could. The animal, God sent the animals in. And the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And so I, in my mind, (coughs) know that Noah was preaching. Hey, guys, got to get on the ark. Come on. God's sending a flood to destroy the world. Get on the ark. Get on the ark. Come on. Get on. And the Bible says what was going on in Luke 17. He tells us the commentary of what was going on in Noah's time can't Noah I got to get married i I got a dinner reservation I got plans for next week I can't be listening to your nonsense I'm not getting on the ark the ark is a picture of God's salvation and the and the floods being a picture of hell and destruction and and the ark being salvation we get on the ark we live <clears throat> we refuse to get on the ark we die we come to Christ for salvation, we live. We reject that, we die. And here's what happened for those seven days that invitation came, and the Bible tells us the reason why they rejected it is because they didn't have time. I don't got time for this. I mean, eat, drink, marry wives. I got a wedding to go to. I got plans next weekend. I got this game to get to. They were up to business as usual. And no one had any time to get on the ark, or no one believed it. No one believed what God had, had Noah preach. And Noah preached it, and no one came. Matter of fact, the only people that got on were Noah, his sons, Noah's wife, and his son's wives. In that land, not even any of his wife's family got on. And then after seven days, the door shut, and the rains began to fall, and the flood the, the, the fountains of the deep began to break open and it began to flood from underneath and it began to flood from the sky. Now all of a sudden, what happened? Noah, Noah, let me on, let me on. The problem was it was too late and it wasn't Noah's doing. Noah didn't shut the ark. The Bible says that God shut the ark. You See, the reason they rejected it is they were too busy. They didn't have time. They didn't, they didn't consider it. It wasn't urgent enough for them. And then when the ark shut and they realized that what had been preached to them was true and accurate, now they wanted to respond, but there was nothing Noah could do to it. And I can imagine as the floods are getting higher and higher and the people are trying to climb on the ark, trying to do whatever they can to stay afloat, men, women, children, all the likes, they all drowned. Every one of them. Because they would not get on the ark. It's a horrible story. And a lot of people say, why would God do that? No, 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 friend. The the offer was there. Anyone could get on. Once the ark was built, there was a weak window. Everybody get on. But there was years upon years upon years of building it where where Noah was saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Nobody wanted to. No one had the time to. No one cared to listen. No one cared to respond until it was too late. The same is true with life. You're too busy for God. I'm not talking about too busy for church. Going to church doesn't bring anybody to heaven. Jesus Christ only does. But he died for you that you might have life through him. And you don't have time for that. I don't got time to consider that. I don't got time to worry about that. I don't want to think about it. I got plans. And then what happens when you die? I can imagine the panic that ensues in a lot of people the moment they die. And they realize that this is all true, that this is all accurate, that this is all exactly as it is. And they begin to say, no, 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 God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, let me go back. I'll, I'll do it right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please. And unfortunately, it's too late. Unfortunately, it's too late. It's not that God doesn't want it. God offered it and offered it and offered it, and they didn't want it. Until it was too late, I I can imagine how many people, the moment after they die, scratch and claw and beg and plead and cry and moan to be able to be given another chance, please. But once we die, it's we die. I don't say that with glee. I don't say that with satisfaction this morning. I'm saying that with urgency now because none of you, all of you are alive. All of you are right here right now. That means there's time, there's a chance, there's an opportunity. And I would be, I would lament the fact, I would bemoan the fact for you to hear it, reject it. And then it'd be too late. Come on, please. And I want you to understand this. The offer of salvation has nothing to do with joining a church, has nothing to do with giving money to a church, has nothing to do with feeling good about a crowd. It has no strings attached. It's between you and the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Not anything else. Seriously consider what would be the ulterior motive. Why would we be preaching with such urgency? Why would we be begging you to consider this if we didn't believe it was entirely true? And so in the days of Noah, the ark shut, the floods came, and all those there that died, because they were too busy. They didn't want to consider it. It was life as usual, until it wasn't. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. It means, friend, we can have all the plans we want, we don't know what tomorrow brings. A lot of people go through life like this, and then all of a sudden life's taken from them, no one saw it coming we've all been in situations where we've lost somebody or heard about someone being lost that was never expected it was sudden it was shocking it was it was uh, unbelievable because life can end on a dime so we have number 5 the rich man we have number 4 the people in the day of noah we have number 3 look at luke 18 the rich young ruler Luke 18, verse number 18. The Bible says, And a, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, I callest me good. None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Let let me give you what is going on here. This man comes to Jesus, and he already has his minds made up. He already, in his mind, is a good person. He already is mine, is a spiritual person, a, a, a holy kind of person, and I'm a ruler, and I have authority over people. I am rich. So he comes to him, he's not, and he asks this question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He's not really asking, sir, what is the answer to this question, how do I get eternal life? He's really asking, what, this is what he's expecting. Sir, what must I do in eternal life? And he's expecting Jesus to say this, are you kidding Of course you'll be in heaven. You're a wonderful ruler. You've kept all these commandments. You're a great guy. Of course you're going to get to heaven. That's what he's expecting. Because Jesus says, you know the commandments. And and there comes that smile from the rich young ruler. I've kept all these since I was a child. But Jesus purposefully kept one of them out. Thou shalt not covet. And he said, go sell all that you have. He's not telling him, if you go sell all that you have, that will purchase your salvation. What he is signifying is you have sin in your life that you've not considered that makes you guilty of hell. So let's deal with your sin. You're a covetous, greedy person. Go sell it all. He's not telling him selling it all will, sa- will save him. What he's showing him is his sin. Because if the rich young ruler here says, you're right, I am covetous. Yes, you're right, I am greedy. Forgive me, Lord. Right then and there, God would have forgiven him. Like he did with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector who robbed people. And then when Jesus talked it over with him, he got saved and then he said, I'm going to go give back all the money I stole. God worked in his heart first and then he went to do that what jesus is showing here is that he had sin that he was not willing to repent of he had sin in his life that he was not willing to ask forgiveness of that he didn't want to consider i've been there in my life friend where i was trusting in legalism and trusting in in works until god said let me hone in on this sin and i had to cry out unto him for salvation this rich young ruler wound up in hell mostly for the fact that he would not allow God to deal with his sin. He thought himself as too good a person. He thought himself as too uh, nice of a guy, uh, too important of a guy. If certainly, I'll be in heaven. And Jesus was like, I want you to be there. But you're not, you're not listening. And let, me, let me also hit on another point for just a second. Because this question might arise, why can't God just let everyone into heaven? Well, if God let everyone into heaven, it'd be no different than earth. And we already see how corrupt and destro- destroyed earth is. Number two, let me ask you this legal question. If there was a guy who committed a murder and he went to the judge and he said, Judge, Please just let me go. You know I'm a good person. You know I'm kind. Please just let me go. And the judge says, yeah, I'll let you go. Is that a good judge or a bad judge? That would be considered a very bad judge, right? That would be a very bad thing to do. If God said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I love everybody. Everybody can go to heaven. That would be a very bad God. But here's what God does. I want everyone to be in heaven, but I can't just allow you to come to heaven because you committed a crime. Someone has to pay the price. But here's what I can do. I'll make a deal with you. I'll punish my son instead. How about that? Now, God, in that doing, justice is served, in that his son is punished, someone is punished, and his love and mercy is served in that you get to go to heaven. So why can't just God let everyone into heaven? Because it would be corrupt and he would be corrupt. But he wants everyone to heaven, so he chooses to punish his son instead, who would conquer death as well, that you might have eternal life. And the rich young ruler is so impressed with himself, so impressed with his doings, so impressed with the way he lives and the way he has lived that you can't convince him that he has sin that needs to be saved from, that he needs to be saved from. Friend, is that you today? Are you someone that thinks, surely I'll be in heaven because I'm good? This guy had kept all... This guy kept commandments that you and I have broken multiple times, especially the way Jesus defined it. He said, if you look on a woman with lust, you committed adultery. And if you hated your brother without cause, you've committed murder. This guy's like, I've kept them all. He probably looked a lot better at life than we do. And yet Jesus said, you still have sin. You need to be forgiven of. So we have number five, the rich young ruler. I mean, and number five, we have the rich man. And the rich man trusted in his riches and trusted in his, his opulence, arrogance, self-sufficiency. We have the people in the day of Noah who, I don't have time for this. I don't got time for this. And then we have number three, the rich young ruler who trusted in his good works. Number two, hold your Bible in Luke, but then turn over, if you could, to Acts chapter 26. By the way, the same writer wrote Luke and Acts. The book of Acts is like Luke part 2. It's a continuation of the narrative. Acts chapter 26, verse number 19. Paul has been arrested for preaching the gospel and is being passed up all these local dignitaries all the way up till he gets to Rome to Caesar. From Jerusalem to Rome. He's been been arrested for preaching this new religion, supposedly. But it's not. It's the continuation of, of Jehovah God. And his plan. And so he is preaching every time he goes before a judge or ruler. Why are you here? He gives his salvation testimony each time. Well, I was on my way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to throw them in the prison, to have them killed. And I heard a voice crying out, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I couldn't deny it, and I couldn't resist it, and I got saved that day. And God changed my life, and I went out preaching His salvation, and His mercy, and His forgiveness. That's, in essence, what Paul's been saying to all these different people. So we come to Acts chapter 26, verse number 19. Paul says unto him, Whereupon, Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. He said, when God revealed to me that he wanted to be my Savior and wanted to forgive me my sins, I did not reject it. I accepted that. Verse 20, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles and that, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. He said, I got saved and so then I went to Damascus and said, I was wrong, guys. Come to Christ. Turn from your sins. Turn to Christ. And I went to Jerusalem and said the same thing. Turn from your sins. Turn to Christ. And I went to Judea. And then I went to the Gentiles. And I said, turn from your sins. Turn to Christ. For this, these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say shall come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. He says, I'm not preaching anything other than what the prophets and Moses said was going to come, that the Messiah was going to come, that the Savior was going to come, that there would be a substitutionary atonement for my sins, and that's what I'm telling everybody. That's what Paul's saying. They tried to kill me, but God spared me. They tried to stop me, but God allowed it. That's all I've been saying. Verse 27 now. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. He says, Agrippa, do you believe me? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe He's the only way to heaven? Will you turn from your sins? Will you accept Christ? Will you do that today? That's what he's saying to King Agrippa. King Agrippa is is asking him, about his life, to have him arrested and further passed up to Caesar. He's a a local magistrate, if you will, or uh, a king of, 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 of of a jurisdiction. And Paul's going through the account of his life, but he's also preaching to him, Agrippa, will you please be saved? Will you be saved today, Agrippa? Look at verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, here comes some of the most saddest words in the Bible. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And and Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also they that hear me this day were both almost and altogether as such as I am except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. What happens here is, Agrippa's listening. He's considering. He's wondering. His mind is. Is this true? I think it might be. I think it might be. I, and he feels the conviction. He feels. He feels that. And Paul says, "Do you believe?" And Agrippa says, "Hmm." almost you almost convinced me paul you almost had me and paul says no not almost not almost please and then he says paul i gotta go and he gets up and walks away and from what we understand he never ever got saved He almost did. He heard what you're hearing now. He had the opportunity to respond like you do today, and he left with the response almost. And I can imagine Paul slumped shoulders, hands in face. Not almost. Not almost. Why not now? And you might be here today, and you might almost be ready to accept Jesus' love. No one's asking you to join a religion or join a church. No one's asking you to do this or that. It's between you and Jesus in faith. It's just your belief. It's just your heart to Him. Saying, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. Forgive me of my sins. I know you're the only one that can. I know you're the only one to eternal life. Save and forgive me today. It's a personal faith. And Agrippa, all Most got saved, but he never did. I know the Bible describes hell and the lake of fire as weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. I don't know if it were possible if we were able to listen in on the cries of hell if we maybe could isolate Agrippa over and over again crying out, almost, almost, almost! How absolutely heart-wrenching is it to be this close to getting saved, but not? How absolutely heart-wrenching. It would almost be better off, I never heard the, this name Jesus and you died, than to be in a church where Christ is preached and you're like, and then you die and then like thinking, why did I listen? Why did i listen so number five is the rich man number four is the people in the day of noah number three is the rich young ruler number two is king agrippa and number one turn back over to luke chapter 22 we're just about done friends hang in there luke chapter 22 verse number 48 Bible says, actually, let's go to verse 47. And while he had spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And they were were sure about, about him saw what would follow. And they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite, uh, shall we smite with the sword? Number one, I believe the saddest response to eternal life, Judas Iscariot. Judas was one of the 12 disciples who had been with Jesus in his public ministry for the three and a half years. He had seen the miracles with his own eyes. He had seen the goodness of Jesus, heard the words that Jesus preached, witnessed the changed lives, and yet he himself never was a believer. There's a parable that Jesus tells about the wheats and the tares. He says a sower went forth at night, a farmer went forth at night, I mean in the day, to plant out the the wheat. And he threw the seed among the ground. At night an enemy came with tares. Tares were weeds that looked like wheat. And he threw the tares out to destroy the man's crop. The wheats and the tares began to grow amongst them each other. And while the farm is farmer is farming, he cannot tell the difference between the wheat and the tares until the harvest. For one is heavier than the other, and the wind will blow one away and leave the other. The parable of the wheat and tares tells us that even in the churches, there are Judases, people who look saved but aren't. People who grow alongside and they look these things. And I'm not even saying they're purposely faking. I'm saying is they've never cried out to Jesus for their own sin. I don't know how Judas configured himself or or contemplated his mind whether he was like, no, no, and he's pretending or whether he really just thinks that he is and he isn't. But we do know this, Judas... betrays Christ. And he says, have not I chosen 12 of you and one of you is the devil. It's not just a believer who fell, this is an unbeliever. But Judas Iscariot heard every single word that the rest of the disciples heard, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, saw people, saw Lazarus raised from the dead a week earlier. And that never, ever affected his soul unto eternal life. Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, there will be many in that day who will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then Jesus says, then I will profess unto them, I never knew thee. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, into the outer darkness. Jesus says there's going to be a lot of people who think they're going to heaven because they're trusting in their religion, they're trusting in their good works, they're trusting in the fact that me and Jesus are like this. Judas said that me and Jesus are like this. But he never had saving faith. He died and went to hell simply because he never personally repented of his sin and trusted Christ. So we have... Number five, the rich man who is trusting his arrogance and his self-sufficiency. We have number four, the people in the day of Noah who were too busy with life. Too busy with their own sin. I can't, I don't worry about it. We have number three, the rich young ruler. Unwilling to repent, unwilling to give up his sin. We have number two, Agrippa. Almost, almost. Then we have number one, Judas Iscariot, a faker, a self-deceived, whatever it is. All of them kept these people from accepting eternal life. Whenever I preach the gospel to a crowd, there's no doubt in my mind there are plenty of people who don't know for sure they're going to heaven. And there are plenty of people who will even raise their hand in invitation and say, I'm not saved but very few people come to get saved. And my question is always this. Why? What are you waiting for? There's no strings attached. There's no bait and switch. This is not about joining, again, a religion. It's about your personal faith. The reason we invited you here today is to give you the offer of salvation to change your life, and not just change your life, but change eternity. I'm not here going to tell you that Jesus will make every single circumstance in your earthly life spectacularly and wonderful. Because life gets hard, whether you're a Christian or not. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But what I am here to tell you is this. There is an eternal life, either in hell or in heaven. The Bible says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Heaven is for eternity and heaven, uh, hell is for eternity. And I don't want anyone to go to hell. And neither does Jesus, neither does God. But unfortunately, the vast majority of the world has an excuse or a reason not to get saved. What I'm imploring on you this morning is, what is that excuse, friend? Put it aside. Some of you think i i'm I'm too bad to get to heaven. You're not. I've told this story to people before, and it is true, and if you want more details i I'll discuss it with you. A few years back, um, through circumstances, I went up to Sullivan County Corrections. Um, Prison upstate New York to meet David Berkowitz, the son of Sam serial killer, who had murdered uh, anywhere between six and nine people, I think, in 1977. The 44 caliber killer, one of the most infamous serial killers of all time. And I can, I'll just say it like this: I can promise you, if you sat with him today, it'd be like fellowship with a Christian brother. There's no doubt in my mind, as much as anybody can testify of someone else's faith. He is a born-again believer. He's got a clear-cut salvation testimony. He's not using religion in jail to get out free or easy or anything like that. He is a changed person. I sat with him at a table, no, cr- no glass before us, just at a cafeteria table. We talked, we took pictures together, we spent hours together because I'd read about his testimony and, and through a friend of mine who happened to write him letters, we, we got invited to go and we spent time with him. My point is this, if Jesus is willing and can forgive a serial killer who had did heinous, heinous, heinous things, He'll forgive you. Paul had, had murdered and or caused the murder of Christians, wrecking havoc upon the church. And if God can save him, God can save you. The reality is that the people who feel like they've sinned too much aren't the ones that often stay away from Jesus. It's the ones who think they're too good to need to be saved are the ones that usually end up in destruction. Where are you today, friend? Will you consider Christ? Will you consider salvation? Will you consider Jesus? Now, in just a little while, we're going to go downstairs. Hopefully, you'll stay. We'll enjoy a meal together. There's no other sermon down there. Don't worry. We're not going to trap you, anything like that. But I will be available if anybody wants to talk. If anybody wants to ask questions. If anyone wants further clarification friend i'm not up here for any other reason but but i love you and i know god loves you and i know god loves me and i know what i've done things i would never tell i would never want to tell you how embarrassing and how shameful they are but i know he loves me and died in my place why wouldn't i want to share that with you why wouldn't i want to share christ with you who will forgive you of all your sins and not just forgive you but give you eternal life in heaven and Jesus commands us to do it. And so I'm so glad you're with us today. But I want you to consider these excuses and their responses to eternal life. And my, my urgency to you today is don't be one, like one of these. Don't reject it today, friend. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. And I need everyone's eyes closed and everyone's head bowed. I want this to be a time of privacy between just God, me, and you. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. I'm not going to cro- call your name. Nothing like that. Trust me on that. But I do want to pray for you. And I do want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ's offer for salvation. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jason, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you please pray for me? You say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand? Don't be embarrassed. I see your hand. God bless you. And I see your hand, too. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Don't be like these people. Anyone else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Pastor Jason, please. I see your hand, too. God bless you. And your hand, too. God bless you. You can put them down. God bless you. There's been plenty of raise your hands. You wouldn't be alone, friend. Don't fight that. This is not you signing up for anything. This is just me praying for you now. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Don't hesitate. Just raise your hand. I, wanna, I see your hand too. God bless you. Good. Anybody else? Thank you, God. I see your hand too. God bless you. Anybody else today? I'm not sure. I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. I see your hand too. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? God's working. How about you, friend? Anyone else unsure? God bless you. I see your hand too. God bless you. Anybody else? Wonderful, guys. Wonderful. Anyone else on shore? I just want to pray for you today. I don't want you to be like one of these. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I know I've been saved. And God is continually working on my heart to stir my heart to reach people for Christ. If God stirred your heart today about the urgency of the gospel and you want to testify of that, would you raise your hand? If God's working your heart to reach lost people. I see hands. Every time we hear the gospel, it's not not for you. It's always for us. It stirs my heart to say there are people there that can be saved they just don't know about it yet. And there will be people that reject it I get that but man it's an urgent business because people go off into eternity so quickly and so and so suddenly sometimes we don't want to waste opportunity So friend you be about your father's business Stay seated for just a second I want to explain what we're going to do In just a few seconds we're going to stand up we're going to keep your head bowed and you're going to keep your eyes closed If you raised your hand and you said you don't know for sure you're going to heaven I'm going to be up front. If you would like to talk to somebody now, we'll take a man with a man, we'll take a lady with a lady, and we'll show you from the Bible how you can be saved. You say, I don't want to get up right now. I understand that, but we have no guarantee what life brings us. You're in a a group of people who have all been saved. Many of them have been. This is not an embarrassing thing. This is an urgent thing. And so if you want to you come up to me and then I'll take you and I'll bring you with somebody and they'll take you to another place to discuss things with you, Not, you won't be embarrassed, I promise. So in a second, we'll stand, head up, bowed, eyes closed, and you can come forward to respond to salvation, respond to the offer of salvation. Now if you're a Christian and you want to step out of your seat, and you want to come pray for someone, you want to pray for the people in here, um, you want to deal with something that God's been doing in your heart, something else, by all means, you can come forward too. And by the way, when you come out in the aisle to walk, you can open your eyes. I, uh, sometimes people ask me that. Yes, you can look when you walk. But for the, the rest of the time, I want you to just allow God to do work, okay? Let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. The piano's going to play. The minute the piano plays, if you would like to talk to somebody about eternal life, don't hesitate. Step out of your seat right here and now and come see me. I know, I know everything inside of us wants to fight it. But feel God drawing you. You want to come pray about something else? Come pray about something else. You want to come pray about something else? You walk right on by me. But if you want to talk to somebody about heaven, you come meet me and you come shake my hand. We'd love to show you from the Bible, love to show you from the Bible, how you can be saved, how you could be born again. People have already come. You wouldn't be alone. Don't fight it, friends. There were quite a few people that raised their hands. And I know this is the tough part. And you don't have to come out. I'm not going to make you. But I would would be devastated for you to leave this place and not have an opportunity to talk to somebody how you can cry out to God and be saved. Now, if you know how to be saved, you can cry out right where you're at. God, I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to heaven. I mean, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Lord, I know Jesus is the only way. Please, please. Forgive me. Save me, Lord. I confess my sins before you. Just cry out to him like that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not just an intellectual believing in. It's a faith believing on. Trusting in And please, the invitation is never closed. What I mean by that is grab me downstairs, grab uh, David downstairs, grab one of the elders, grab one of the workers, and say, I need to talk to somebody right now. We'll answer your questions. We'll pray with you. We'll comfort you. We'll lead you to Christ in any way we can. But we would not want you to leave this place still worried and wondering about your personal eternal life? There's still people praying. You still have time? Friend, I. it's easy to look at us in church and say, wow, those are good people. We're not. We're just sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. We'll play through one more verse. I deserve hell as much as any other person in this world. And I'm glad I realized that so I can know I'm, I can be saved. I need to be saved. And I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that Jesus died for me. I'm so thankful. Because without Him, I'd be lost still in my trespasses and sins. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a song together. Father, we thank You so much for your son, who you sent to die on this cross for us. Lord, you sent him to die because we were sinners who had no hope. We were sinners who had no no opportunity. We We were sinners lost who had no ability to save ourselves or get to heaven. But Lord, in your infinite love, you chose to love us and die for us. Lord, I saw many hands here. Lord, you know not just the hands. You know the hearts of the people. You know here who are saved and who are not. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that today you would do a work, that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day they look back and say, forever my eternity was changed through Jesus Christ. I got saved at a church on Long Island there in November 2021. Father, I pray, Lord, that you continue to work on those hearts whose hands were raised. Many, many in here, Lord. Thank you so much for their honesty. Thank you so much for their bravery. And, Lord, I pray, Father, they would not leave this place still lost. May they linger and wait and talk to someone and father many whose hearts are stirred for the gospel's sake i pray lord that you would continue to help us to want to reach people help us to want to see people saved help us be burdened for the lost no matter what confusing thing happens in this world no matter what earth shattering uh, next news cycle brings us may we be about your business may you bless the food and the refreshments and the lunch and the fellowship and the togetherness thank you for this church thank you for new hope Thank you for being God and giving us such good things when we don't deserve any. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.